Please be seated. My wife Patricia and I, our, our third child is male. He's 15, and yes, he's still alive. And when he was, uh, my wife was about eight and a half months pregnant with him, we'd been arguing back and forth about names, and we decided, you know, we were going to go with, with some good, you know, Celtic names, because we were into that at that time. And we'd gotten to Rowan was one that was good. And then, and then one non-Celtic one that was a combination of the two grandfathers was George Rubin. That was my favorite. Little GR. But then the one we settled on was Aiden. And the reason why, um, what was a little bit like what we read today. Um, my wife, but not really, my wife rolled over, uh, about eight and a half months pregnant. And whenever an eight and a half months pregnant woman tells you something, the answer is always yes. And she, it was one of those things when I was laying in bed and, and um, I, I, I was half awake, but I felt someone staring at me, which usually meant one of my kids wanted breakfast, one of my other two children wanted breakfast. And um, I opened my eyes and she was staring at me from the moment up my eyes. And I said, yes, dear. And I thought she was about to say it's time. But she said, I dreamed his name is Aiden Timothy. And she rolled over and went back to bed. Now, this is one of those moments where I was very wise. I didn't say a word. And, and But then later on in the day, I, we kind of had, we argued about it again because I wanted George Rubin. And, sh- and I said, you know, no matter what I say, no matter how I argue for the grandfathers, him being named after the grandfathers, all you have to do is open your mouth and say, I dreamed it. <laughs> and she could even just say, you know, I dreamed it. God told me if she wanted to. But she didn't, and we named him Aiden, which is a wonderful name for him because it means fiery one. And he's a very gentle soul, but he's very passionate. And um, and then we, we named him, and then we, we, as I alluded to earlier, have kept him alive for 15 years. And, you know, fathers so often lurk in the background of pregnancy stories, don't we? Um and probably rightfully so, because, um, and you know, Joseph sort of lurks in the background of our nativity scenes. He, uh, in the one we had this morning in the, the non-anxious Christmas pageant, he kind of sits over to the side and then Mary sits next to the midwife. And in a lot of the creches and a lot of the paintings, he's sitting there kind of looking down um, a little bit, uh, you know, with wonderment and in delight, perhaps, reverence. But I think the more accurate version would have him confused, maybe even bewildered, perhaps very frightened. And, you know, before we round the corner into the Luke, the Lucan narrative of uh, the birth of Jesus, which is the one that we most often hear on Christmas Eve and the one that is most sentimentalized, I mean, my, my strongest memory of that is listening to Linus read that every year in Charlie Brown Christmas. But it's the one that we read on Christmas Eve. And it's the one that gets over-sentimentalized because it has all the characters in place, right? Uh, Matthew's nativity account is very different. It's not very sentimental. No. And it has a lot of dreaming and a lot of 
scary things like murderous kings and fleeing from danger. Matthew's nativity uh, has been called by some the Annunciation of Joseph. It's serious business. It's scary stuff. We get another look at the birth of Jesus today. And, and what ought to give us pause and what, do, what maybe even should frighten us a little when we think about the birth of Christ is that the Savior of all humanity, Jesus, God incarnate, was himself saved by his father, a man named Joseph. And I think if we, we take another look at Joseph, we see a couple of important things that he does in the story and that he does for God's son, his son, that might even help us find our way into the nativity of Christ and into the year that comes and the life that surrounds our year to come. Joseph names Jesus for the world. He names him. Joseph then helps Jesus. He helps Jesus become alive from the world by keeping him alive. And in the things that we don't hear about Jesus, those missing years, he raises him, he gives him a trade like we've done for our son, and it's not always easy. He has given him life. You know, naming a child is a profound thing. I talked about our naming story earlier, but so many of you who have named children yourself or, or helped name children in your family um, knows that it can be a struggle. Who has not struggled over this or been close to someone who has? It is a big deal what we name our children. Whatever Joseph was supposed to name this boy, if, if he had gone along with this, uh, he spoke up at Jesus' bris or, or whatever they did back then with a name, a name that, that proclaimed Yeshua. And it's a combination of two names, the, the name of God, the tetragrammaton, of the God's initials, which we, we turn into a word, Yahweh, and Yasha, to save or to rescue. Yasha, Yeshua, Jesus. Now, did Joseph share with others the source of this name? I mean, it was fun for us to tell people we dreamed his name. But did he tell all his friends that God told me in a dream to name this boy Yeshua? Or did he keep mum about his inspiration? Whatever Joseph did... Because of Joseph, this name, Jesus, God saves us, was brought into the world. Joseph trusts God, and then Joseph names Jesus for the world. And if we are paying attention, just saying this name, Jesus, God saves us, is difficult. You know, Joseph lived in awfully violent times. He lived under the boot heels of the Roman Empire that kept peace through violence. He lived under a strict religious code that kept peace under violence and under the exclusion of people that didn't follow it, under the principle of who was in and who was out. And it was an audacious thing then for people then and people now to look down on the dirt floors of their houses 
or the troubling realities of their lives and say out loud every time we say this boy's name, God saves us. Yet Joseph trusted God. And Joseph named this boy, and in naming this boy, he proclaimed, God saves us for the world. And you know, the very name Jesus is the start of a conversation. Even the atheists like Jesus. Richard Dawkins will wear t-shirts that said, Atheists for Jesus. So many people that we talk to who can't embrace the life of faith will even say to us, Well, Jesus was a great man. Not only that, but it's the opening bid of a lifelong relationship that we have and a lifelong conversation that we have with our Creator. Lifelong questions that we should always be asking. In particular, one, what does it mean to need a Savior? What does it mean to to be saved? And you know, I know from from hearing a lot of your stories, and you know from hearing my story, the easy answer to that question, many of us have rejected, haven't we? Being saved means something more than avoiding some eternal punishment. Being saved means living into a life of integrity, living into a life following Jesus, living into a life living with the Holy Spirit as a part a tangible part of our lives. Many easy answers we've rejected. So we continue discovering and naming and living into what it means to need a Savior. God's dream for us, Joseph's dream tells us, and the name tells us, is to be saved. The name Jesus is a proclamation of God's dream for the world. It's a new way that rejects violence and rejects empire and offers a new path towards God. Yet we live still, a lot like Joseph and Mary did in a world in which we read and in which some of us live daily through all kinds of violence and all kinds of empire. We read about the slaughter of the innocents in places like Aleppo, And when we see these realities, we too, like Joseph and Mary, have a hard time imagining that God saves us. Yet when we say that name, friends, we admit our need for God. We trust God and we name Jesus and God in our lives and we name them in the life of this world. We are able to have this name Jesus, though, because Joseph did something of, of huge importance. Joseph saves Jesus, Jesus and Mary's life. Joseph raises him as one of his own. Joseph brings him to us, brings him to us as an adult. We can only imagine what Joseph must have been thinking that night before he went to sleep. He was not wondering what to name his soon-to-be ex-fiance's baby. He was wondering, how the Scripture tells us, how to dismiss her quietly. I mean, it's a miracle he could sleep at all, isn't it? What a mess. We forget that Emmanuel, God with us, came to us 
out of hugely imperfect circumstances, didn't he? Any one of us can think through our lives any number of times when hugely imperfect, maybe even tragic circumstances were the prelude to so many good things. And all that being said, though, one of the things that upsets me greatly uh, when bad things happen to me, and I know it upsets you, is that when in the middle of those dark times someone says to me, something better is just around the corner. And what's usually most infuriating about that is that they're usually right. But the very beginning of Jesus' life came to us in the defeat of the hugest human difficulties. And, you know, let's be honest here. If you have ever had a hard time explaining the virgin birth, imagine what it was like for Joseph. There is no precedence for this in Scripture. No one other than than gods and goddesses in the mythologies that surrounded them had ever been born of the Holy Spirit, as the angel tells him. Whatever difficulties he had with this, Joseph, a son of David himself, is not afraid to take Mary as his wife because he wakes up and somewhere in his heart he believes that she is, this child is, as the angel tells him, from the Holy Spirit. But I mean, he had to be afraid when he took Mary as his wife. Yet he trusts his dream. He lays aside so many things in giving Jesus life. He lays aside his own pride. He lays aside his common sense, his propriety. He lays aside the law. He lays aside the scandal of this birth. And he takes a pregnant, unwed mother to be his wife. He trusts God's dream to be his dream. And he makes room for the child that he trusts that in this child, God is with us. And he trusts that Mary is indeed the mother of God. In spite of himself, probably. And against everything he faced, he trusts God's dream. And this new life happens for the world. Jesus, God saves us, is born. So we make the turn towards the feast of Christ, the birth of Christ. And Joseph becomes our guide through this joyous, this grief-filled time, this time of light, this time of darkness, this time of peril. We continue to name Jesus in the world and in our lives. We remember that because of or in spite of our difficult or impossible circumstances. Jesus is with us and Jesus lives. So if you want to make sure um, people remember a sermon, you just do a poem by Madeline Lingle at the end of it. But this one just kept jumping out at me this week as I was preparing for today. In this poem, she, she names several of the realities that that Joseph faced and that we face. She names the reality of Jesus being named in a difficult world and in difficult circumstances and reminds us of why we came. So I leave this for you. Madeline Lingle writes, He did not wait till hearts were pure. In joy he came to a tarnished world of sin and doubt. To a world like ours of anguished shame, he came and his light would not go out. He came to a world which did not mesh, 
to heal its tangles, shield its scorn. In the mystery of the word made flesh, the maker of the stars was born. We cannot wait till the world is sane to raise our songs with joyful voice. For to share our grief, to touch our pain, he came with love. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Amen.